Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sangai Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Sangai and QT with you here on another edition of the show. Real fast before we jump into things with our guests, if you're looking for some pro wrestling tonight, WCWO at 1151 South Kentucky Avenue in Indianapolis, Indiana, as usual. HGW in St. Paul, Minnesota. FGW in Hamilton, Ohio. WOH making their long-anticipated return in Rutland, Vermont. KEPW in Frankfort, Kentucky tonight. Tomorrow night, UPW in Backlift, Texas. Supreme Wrestling in Madison, Indiana. MCIW in Salem, Indiana. TNW in Nebo, Kentucky. BMFX in Lafayette, Indiana. PWK in Bourbon, Indiana. ICW in Marion, Indiana. And BLP in Estalis, Illinois tomorrow. So if you have wrestling near you, go out and support your local independents. If you are going to the Washington State Fair in Puyallup, Washington, PWF has a booth there where they are showing some old matches and you can do your own commentary over the match. So get out there and check that out. PWF keeping the name of independent wrestling in Washington alive as best they can during the fair season. So get out there and support that. Without any further ado, I want to welcome to the show one of my favorite people. I always enjoy seeing him whenever I get the chance. He is the historian of Idaho Wrestle Club. He is proud member of the CAC, a wrestling historian, and the best results man you will ever come across in your lifetime. Brian Westcott, thank you so much for being with us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Ah, thank you for having me. It's uh, been a while since I have Last time I was on a radio program was on Cinco de Mayo during the pandemic last year. And before that was another uh, radio program with a friend of mine, Michael McCurdy. And I've been helping his program out. Yeah, it's been a – so it's a real honor, a real privilege to uh, be on your program today. Pleasure is definitely ours. And since it is your first time with us, I'm going to start you out with the first-timer question with a bit of a twist. I know you aren't in ring or uh, anything of that nature with wrestling, but you are a big part of professional wrestling. What got you started in the world of pro wrestling? It was about 1989 when uh, my father got me interested in watching uh, primetime wrestling on USA Network, WWF at the time. And uh, probably the storyline that got me hooked was uh, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage fighting over Miss Elizabeth. So the explosion of the mega powers. So this would be February 3rd, 1989, watching the main event. And then, of course, everything leading up to WrestleMania five. So, and of course, so while it's while the signal scrambled, and I'm listening to the audio, listening to the paying attention to the match results, and already we're starting to collect statistics, uh, height and weight, and uh, name of residence, where the wrestler was from, parts unknown, and all of that. So that's what got me interested. But some of my favorites uh, were uh, people like uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. I really like the Ultimate Warrior. Love the gimmick. Really like Demolition. Love their gimmick. Uh, Barry Wyndham for All Around Worker was just I thought incredible. 
I, I really liked uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, the Great Muda for Japan. So Japan really interested me. And uh, later on, getting into Mexico and into women's pro wrestling. So, but that's where it all started. How you, like I said, have become a wrestling historian and that aspect of wrestling is very important so we know where the business came from, we know who preceded us, what it took to get us to this point. At what point did you become interested in learning the history of the professional wrestling business? I think I was always interested in it from day one, just trying to figure out, trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And then, of course, thanks to the Internet, you get to meet other like-minded individuals and then come to find out professional wrestling has been around since the late 1860s, so since the time of the Civil War. And professional wrestling was very much real, much like mixed martial arts, what it should have been. So right about between 1925-1930, that's where the entertainment aspect really started. So right about then, pro wrestling did a 180-degree turn and into eventually what WWE refers to as sports entertainment, although I like the athleticism of, say, Ring of Honor or New Japan Pro Wrestling. But, of course, we're seeing some great things lately from Impact, and I'm surprised they're still around. And, of course, we have All Elite Wrestling, AEW. So it has just been a real need to see the history almost come full circle. We have so much uh, programming, so much stuff to watch now, it's not even funny. So now it's all about content and just getting the content out there now. There's so much. But also the independency, the independents have had to step up their game with the death of the territory system. And when I joined in 1989, it was a great year for NWA, Ricky Steamboat against Ric Flair, Savage against Hogan in WWE. But one by one, the territories were going away, and the independents had to step up their game. So that's where we're seeing some of the best of the brightest talent is coming in from the independents. So uh, that's been a real joy to watch. Now, as a fan, it is fantastic to have so many promotions putting out content at a national level, but also as someone that works in the business, that is fantastic to see because it means more people have access to jobs in the industry, which is always a very healthy thing for the business to have. I mentioned at the top that you are the historian for Idaho Wrestle Club. Uh, You got hooked up with Wrestle Club towards the very beginning of the promotion and have seen their growth firsthand. Can you tell us the relationship between yourself and Idaho Wrestle Club? Idaho Wrestle Club, I was real. I just stumbled on it to it one day on their, their YouTube, and I was just surprised that they existed. But in so, but in 2015 is when they started, and this has been, this has been the the brainchild of Anthony Garibay, Lasso Garibay. This is his baby. He is promoter, and he is he is the booker, matchmaker. This is his baby. This is his project come to life. I went to my first show January 28th, 2017, during that horrible snow apocalypse with all this snow coming down and just all the craziness from that. And But just getting to meet guys like Jack Helter and Skelter, and I was really proud of Marcus King Anderson. I saw Adriel Noctis' debut. Adriel Noctis has come a long way now. He's in Las Vegas. I hope to see him real soon uh, at CAC coming up here in a couple weeks but yeah just the talent the talent and the roster and it's just gotten better and better and better the matches are getting better we're bringing in new blood a lot of new talent so we're getting our name out there and we're also on roku which has been real helpful we're on a public access channel 
which is also very helpful for getting uh, independence, uh, promotions, uh, access, as well as awareness to the public for our product. We, uh, we're getting a real good turnout from the fans, so we know we're doing something right. So Idaho is no longer this black hole, no longer a place where uh, there's no wrestling at all. We now have something that we had even during the territory years. Idaho had had wrestling around because I could know of four promoters during the NWA that were uh, promoting in Idaho. I met two of them in person, the late Dean Silverstone, and then Ed Moondog Moretti. I've met him through CAC, but there were two others, the late Tex Hager, and then there was Brunetti Brothers, and they actually did television tapings. They were based out of Salt Lake, and then they came to Boise to do some of their tapings. So, uh, yeah, it it has just been real awesome with Idaho Wrestle Club, and Thanks to me, we're in Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine. We're on cagematch.net as far as our match results. We're also in Keith Elliott Greenberg's book about the independence that came out last year. Now, I have always been impressed with Wrestle Club myself. I absolutely love going there. Anytime I get the opportunity, look forward to it every single time. They have, like you said, come a very long way in a relatively short time as a promotion. The growth has been phenomenal. A lot of them are doing great, great things. Uh, Some of the members of the original Wrestle Club have moved on to other areas, and they're doing well in their new locations. What do you think it was about Wrestle Club that, enable them to grow so quickly and so well as a company and as individual pieces to that company? Thanks to Facebook and thanks to YouTube, Facebook Live, we were able to do do our shows from an undisclosed location during the pandemic, including our hybrids uh, event, which I was able to go to. We had this awesome venue, which was a coffee house, but in the back, they had this large concert hall. It was perfect. I thought we found our Wrestle Club Arena, and the owners of that place, they loved having us there because we were selling out. So that plus uh, Roku plus the public uh, access channel, and so our fan base, it has just been incredible. They were just you have rabid, rabid fans here that are just hungry for pro wrestling, and that has just been incredible to see. Plus, the development of characters and uh, getting, uh, well, seeing Marcus King Anderson, and we've seen him go from uh, villain to a full-fledged hero here, of course. And then we saw Adriel Noctis go from hero to villain. And we've been, and of course, I really like Project Mayhem as a tag team. They've come a long way. Both of Brad Zane and Damian Black. And of course, unfortunately, we got to say goodbye to Mr. Hickman. We got to say goodbye to James Grimm. And uh, yes, we did say goodbye to Marcus King Anderson and Adriel Noctis. All four of them are doing very well. And also, we saw the retirement of, well, Bryce Bennett, we saw his retirement recently, but and I know he is uh, back home in Ohio. I hope he is doing well, and at least help, hopefully he will pass his knowledge on to the next generation. That's the one thing about the business. I mean, once it gets into your blood, it, does, it doesn't really leave you. Even though you, you may be retired from the ring, you could still pass your knowledge on to the next generation, especially working behind the scenes. Absolutely. Once you're in, you're in. There is no such thing as retirement, really, in pro wrestling, because guys usually come back within a few weeks. So, right, we'll, we'll see Mr. Bennett again. I think before it's all said and done. Yeah. You mentioned the CAC coming up in a couple of weeks. I know you have been a member of the CAC for quite a while. You are an award winner from the CAC, 
I know it has meant a lot to you over the years. Can you tell us a little bit of how you came to be involved in the CAC? Cauliflower Alley Club started in 1965 as a fraternal organization. We're the only one of our kind as far as a 501c3 reaching out to professional wrestlers who really need it, whether it's paying their medical bills, helping out rental assistance. I know we helped Kamala. We've helped La Rosa Negra. We paid medical bills for the late Johnny Valentine. We've helped so many through our benevolent fund. That's what the club is for, to raise money for the benevolent fund. Cauliflower Alley Club, basically anyone can join. Before that, it was closed off only to actors and wrestlers and boxers. So it started off as a luncheon by Mike Mazurki. Mike Mazurki was an actor who immigrated from, from uh, Eastern Europe to the United States, became an actor in Hollywood, but he was also a professional wrestler. So he was the one that started it. But by about 2000, Lou Thess was president at the time, and he was the one that opened the door to fans because he knew that the only way to grow the nonprofit was to invite the fans. And, of course, times have changed. Kayfabe is pretty much gone. We know too much now. The, like Bobby Heaton said, once the genie left the bottle, the magic is gone. So that's kind of where we're at now. And I got to meet Red Bastide in 2005. I got the Red Bastide Friendship Award on Ronnie Piper's 58th birthday, April 17, 2012. It was a huge honor for me. It was very humbling. I had the top speech. No one could top it. Because a few months after that, Red Bastine would die from Alzheimer's disease at 81. Red Bastine and Bill Anderson trained the Ultimate Warrior and Sting for the ring. So there's a, there's a bit of trivia for you. But uh, with Vegas, yeah, there's a lot to do in Vegas. So it's a, so it's a great location for CAC. So, you, so you've got all the stuff that Vegas offers. Plus you have, which is basically is like a high school or college reunion. It's like a class reunion, so it's not exactly a fad festival or a convention, but there are elements of both in it. There are things that are open to the public, but there are things that are just for us members, so these seminars that we go to. So we're pretty much busy during the day, but the first time I went, my father and I, we we did the tourist stuff. We saw some of the restaurants, some of the shops, and got to see Hoover Dam and all of that, but – We've stayed at the Plaza. We've stayed at the Riviera, which has since been torn down. And uh, we're going to be at the Gold Coast uh, in a couple weeks. That's where it's been since 2009. Have you ever entered the Cribbage Tournament, which is now being ran by uh, the Pacific Northwest-owned Stuart Kemp? I haven't yet, and I'm thinking about maybe trying my head at it, possibly this year. It's the one thing I haven't done yet. I've been involved in the bowling tournament. But, yeah, I think once I need to know how to learn how to play uh, cribbage, and, I, and they'll even teach you there. But, yeah, cribbage tournament, yeah, that's a, that's a real big uh, deal as far as raising money for the benevolent fund. That's a big deal for the cribbage tournament because the winner gets a nice trophy, and they get to have bragging rights that they uh, won the tournament. So we've had some two-time and some three-time champs. I mean, you're going up against guys like Bill White and the, the Destroyer, Dick Byer. Yeah, he was always involved in it, and plus uh, many others. Well, hopefully you'll get involved in that tournament and maybe come home with the trophy. Yeah, that'd be nice. So we'll see. You mentioned a few minutes ago the uh, coffee house where Russell Club uh, was performing. Uh, that was uh, Death Proof Coffee, as I recall it. Correct. I was, I was just absolutely floored by how great a venue that was for independent professional wrestling. Oh, I yeah. would say one of the very best venues I've ever had a chance to go and perform in. In my career, I loved it there. Plus, you had coffee right there, which is always a nice treat. From all the venues you've been to, what would you say has been the best venue for professional wrestling that you've seen so far in person? Uh, 
Well, definitely the one you just said, Death Proof Coffee. Man, I mean, from a visual standpoint of just sitting in, standing in the back with the audio and then seeing the, the visual, the lights and the smoke machine, fog machine, it was just incredible. Plus the rabbit fans, the full house, plus the coffee right next door. That was just, oh, this is perfect. And the owners loved us. They told us, yeah, we love having you here. So, yeah, they didn't want us going anywhere else. So that was just perfect. But I've also been to uh, WrestleMania 19 at Safeco Field in Seattle. And I've uh, been, and of course, Las Vegas. We do our best at a hotel. But I've also seen guys get injured because the roof is, you know, you're not too just inches from it. And you can get injured. I've seen injuries. I've seen injuries here in Idaho. So, uh, yeah, they do happen. Injuries definitely do happen. It's part of the business. Now, as someone that is not an in-ring competitor, but someone that has been around long enough to be able to uh, tell when something isn't quite right, what would you say has been the scariest injury that you've witnessed? Oh, I think it was Daniel Torch against Rick Luxury. Daniel was trying to do some high-risk move off the top, and this was when he was right close by the roof. And he just landed awkwardly and just separated his shoulder right there in front of me. And so this was like two minutes into the match. This was a title match. So for the Pro Wrestling Bushido Heavyweight Championship, so the other guy, Rick Luxury, wins by forfeit, and they had to take Daniel to, to the hospital, to the emergency room. So that was that was scary. But the other time was uh, I saw one of our guys at Wrestle Club at Tonatu. He had a heat stroke, and so the referee crossed his arms. I rang the bell. So the other guys come from the back. Now, thankfully, we've got two people that have medical background besides myself. So we just made sure that this guy was uh, A-OK, making sure he got food and he got something to drink, some fluids. Because that was a real hot day, and he was just gassed and, uh, yeah, he was vomiting. And so, so we knew something wasn't right. So... We just made sure he was he was okay. I remember that. That was a scary incident. Yep. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you also uh, got into Japanese wrestling, and the American interest in Japanese wrestling has really taken off over the last four to five years, uh, New Japan has become very, very popular amongst American fans to the point that they can now tour by themselves in the United States. Uh, It took a very long time to get to that point where Japanese was sort of a niche thing that the really hardcore fans would follow, but now more casual fans are aware of Japanese wrestling and are getting into it. What do you think has changed within the wrestling fans that now they accept Japanese wrestling more readily than they did the previous generation of wrestling fans? I think partly New Japan's ability to work with other promotions, uh, Ring of Honor, uh, AEW, like they're doing now. Uh, They're working with uh, AAA, CMLL in Mexico. Uh, I mean, they've got some great, great athletes. Okada, the Rainmaker, and they've got uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and and of course some of the foreign wrestlers, Will Osprey, and so it's just phenomenal. And so, uh, and of course some, some of the other foreigners that have that work it now, working with other companies. Of course, AJ Styles, who was IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Of course, now with WWE. Then, of course, you have Kenny Omega, you have the Young Bucks, Chris Jericho, all with AEW, but they still want to work with New Japan. So New Japan is just, they're just op- more open to uh, working with other promotions, getting their product out there, 
like I say, it's all about content now. People are hungry for content. And so the, so the Japanese, they're, they're real open to this, which is, which is great. And they can tour hot markets like Los Angeles and go to Chicago, go to New York, uh, go to other places across the country where uh, people are just rabid and they're just waiting to purchase a ticket and watch, watch the pay-per-views, purchase the merchandise. So it's a real exciting time for uh, New Japan. Absolutely. I enjoy watching them and seeing how they're growing within the United States at long last. We discussed, of course, the CAC, but you also have been involved in some other uh, organizations that help preserve the history of pro wrestling. Uh, There's been a few different Hall of Fames over the years that have tried to preserve professional wrestling and its history. I know you are a big proponent of organizations that do that. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the Hall of Fame work that you're involved with currently? With the Hall of Fame, uh, International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame just had their inaugural weekend, August 27th through 29th, in Albany, New York. And hopefully one of these days I definitely plan to attend their event. so they started in 2019, and they just got a place at the Times Union Center, which is great location for them. So that's going to be awesome. But they were the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. In 2016, the PWHF went to Texas under the direction of uh, Cowboy Johnny Mantell. And I've been to some of their events. I mean, their events are not, not bad. I mean, yeah, definitely Southern home style great food and uh, Wichita Falls is an interesting place like 100,000 people there but the downtown is almost virtually deserted but the outskirts have just grown but uh, they've had their issues as of late so uh, the other place I would definitely recommend is Waterloo Waterloo, Iowa and I was there in July wow very very impressed They've already made announcements for next year. So July of 2022, the three people they have announced that will be part of their Hall of Fame inductions for 2022 will be Jim Ross getting the Gordon Soli Award. Mike Rotunda will be part of the class of 2022. And from the class of 2021 or class of 2020, because, well, unfortunately she was stuck in Canada, Trish Stratus will be uh, making her appearance. So that'll be awesome. I've met Trish at CAC. Same thing with Jim Ross at CAC. So, uh, and I met Mike Rotunda back in July at Waterloo. So I'm really looking forward to it. They put on a top-notch show. So like I say, if anything happens to me, my entire pro wrestling collection will be divided between uh, the Hall of Fame in New York and uh, Waterloo. Definitely. So that's the plan as of right now. If anything happens to me, my collections, I'm already deciding where most of it's going to go. I mean, obviously, you can't take it with you. So that's where it's going to go. Well, at this point in time, my co-host QT is standing by, and I'm sure QT has questions to ask as well. So I'm going to pass things over to him for a bit. Well, thank you, Sungai. Hello, Brian. Hello. Uh, Brian, Sungai just mentioned Japanese wrestling. Did you keep track of how well the Japanese women did in these past Olympics? They were like our swim team. Well, are you were you aware of how many gold medal, gold and silver medals they won in freestyle wrestling? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, as well as uh, the Americans. They did real well So because that's where some of the talent for WWE, that's where some of that's going to come from. It's going to come from the amateurs. And it's very, very pleased to see the Japanese doing so well. And I was happy to see they did well at their uh, – they hosted the Olympics, and they did very, very well. And, of course, women's pro wrestling. I saw one match on stardom. Oh, my goodness. This was a great – Great main event between uh, oh Starlight Kid and uh, against her opponent, 
wow, they were just, it was almost like they were going at 100 miles an hour, going near fall after near fall after near fall. And it was just 16 minutes of hot, hot action. Stardom reminds me a lot of all Japan women's pro wrestling when it was around. And sadly, the company uh, folded up in 2005, which was the same year when I went to my first uh, CAC reunion. So, yes, I have definitely been paying attention to uh, Japanese women's uh, amateur wrestling as well as the professional wrestling. Oh, very good. Okay. Well, Brian a seminal moment in uh, wrestling history in Japan occurred when pioneering women wrestler, women's wrestler Mildred Burke went to Japan. And this, for many in attendance, this was the first time a man had seen women in a wrestling ring. They were astonished to see a woman in, in a wrestling ring, as well as uh, wearing wrestling gear. And they were even more astonished when Mildred Burke held her own against a male opponent and actually shoved this male opponent around. Uh, Before then and uh, during uh, her debut, women were pretty much uh, relegated in society uh, with submissive roles, both in the workplace and uh, in sports. To see Mildred Burke dressed in her costumes coming to the ring was a seismic shift in the culture of women in Japan. It was like when the Runaways with Joan Jett, uh, Sherry Curry, and Sandy West went over there as a rock band in 1978, another seismic cultural shift. They were astonished to see these teenage girls into their 18 year 18 and 19 at the time actually play their own instruments it was like a finger to proper japanese aristocracy <laughs> mm-hmm. yes you give your uh, are were you aware of the seismic shift in japanese culture with this mildred burke incident and absolutely has, because i have has, uh, the book uh, which is Queen of the Ring, which is about Mildred Burke. And I think there is a plans for a movie about her to come. Yeah, 1972 was a pivotal year, Title IX. That was when that became the law of the land in the U.S. and allowed women to have an equal footing, equal playing field to play sports as well as the guys. And, and of course, now we're seeing girls pitting boys in amateur wrestling. And uh, even one boy said, I didn't lose to a girl wrestler. I lost to a wrestler. I mean, that's how much ties have changed. Yeah, you're right about that seminal moment with Mildred Burke going to Japan. And and they were just astonished, just amazed. Mildred Burke, yeah, she was the one that really helped and became the catalyst for uh, all Japan women's uh, pro wrestling in the 1960s until uh, the very end in uh, 2005. Now, speaking of the Runaways, have you yourself ever considered using their song, their song "Cherry Bomb," as your entrance music when you do your bell ringing duties? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to listen to that song. I'll have to listen to that song for sure. But because the oh, only other Cherry Bomb I know is uh, Allie, and I think today is her birthday. Terry Bob Alley, of course, out of Canada, and uh, she's done, she's also known as the Bunny in AEW, but she's done very well. Only only song oh, I know by Joe Jett is uh, "I Love Rock," "I Love Rock and Roll." That's the only that's the only one I know. Oh, okay. Well, you might want to work look up um, her work. Uh, she's been interviewed by David Letterman. That's a good uh, YouTube video to uh, watch. And she's worked on stage with Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. She sang with him. That's a good one. And let's see, uh, Cherry Bomb. um, Okay, yes, you might uh, want to uh, look up those videos. Uh, So, Brian, uh, would you be interested in having your own entrance music at Wrestle Club in Idaho? Oh. Well, I know Project, I really like Project Mayhem's ring entrance music. I use their ring entrance music uh, 
on uh, the radio program I did uh, last year. But if I had to pick one for Wrestle Club, oh, I think I'd probably pick uh, the Ch- pick Chase from the original Midnight uh, Express soundtrack, which was oh, okay. uh, that that was used for by the tag team uh, Midnight Express. That's always been a favorite of mine. Oh, very good. Okay. All right. Well, Brian, did you yourself turn out for wrestling in high school? Oh, no. I was not an athlete. Neither my father or myself, neither one of us were athletes. We made up for it in, uh, just by using our minds. We were made fun of for, uh, you know, being nerds and being, uh, you know, not being athletic, not being popular. But, of course, I was a singer. I was a performer in that sense, so I became popular in a way. But, uh, as far, but I, do, I do appreciate actual sports history. I can appreciate the history of uh, baseball and football and basketball. I appreciate the history behind it, the statistics. I appreciate the athletes and what they have gone through and for some of the issues that we are facing today. I know we have not brought this up yet, but I know the pro wrestling world is still grieving over the loss of Shannon Spurrell, uh, Daffy, which was just uh, heartbreaking. Because I, I remember her from 1999, WCW, when she started out. And I remember her from her shimmer days. And she, she was just incredible. And I was sad to hear her career ended. And then this recent tragedy. So it, it just just really breaks my heart but uh but yeah definitely not an athlete but i've uh made up made up for my fanaticism in uh other ways oh, okay very good okay very very good all right well brian we recently saw the passing of tom petty and charlie watts the drummer for the rolling stones Charlie had the physique of what would be a super featherweight in boxing or perhaps a super lightweight, and that would range from 135 to 140 pounds. And Tom Petty was probably around 155 to 160 or a middleweight. Uh, Between them, who do you think would win at a wrestle club match uh, in Idaho, if you could time travel and bring these two together. Oh wow, that's an interesting dream match there. I don't know. I don't know how I'd be able to book it, or, or I'd probably probably have to do it under. Uh, I'd say let's do it under mixed martial arts rules, and uh, we'll see how how it goes that way. Because I think we, we could probably do it. I don't know how we book it pro wrestling wise. Because we could, it could it could go either way. Okay, well, uh, could the winner of this Tom Petty Charlie Watts match win in a match against Big Bang's Sheldon Cooper with his knowledge of physics and leverage? <laughs> Since Sheldon is not an athlete at all, they could easily beat him. <laughs> Well, now, in one episode, uh, Sheldon Cooper did go jogging with Penny. <laughs> and he also got pinned by Penny. That's true, And got yes. kissed on the nose for his trouble. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Very good. Okay. Well, Brian, you told Sungai earlier that Cinco de Mayo was one of the last few times before that, uh, today that you were on the radio. Can I ask you if you were at a Mexican restaurant drinking a margarita? No, no. Unfortunately, I was uh, at home when I was uh, doing the program. I was uh, in the computer room just uh, surfing the Internet, just waiting for the time for the program, for my uh, turn to be on the program. But I know in a couple of weeks I will definitely have a free margarita at the hotel I'll stay at in Ely. Not much to do there. And then we'll make the rest of the trip to Vegas. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. All right. Well, Brian, I happened to see the YouTube video called uh, Season 2, Episode 20, Wrestle Club Natural Selection 2019. Are you familiar with this video? Believe so. 
believe I remember the event. Oh, okay. Well, at the at the start of the video, you can see I believe it was Bronco Billy of the Spud Brothers, and he was working out in preparation for an event, uh, a title shot at Wrestle Club, uh, and he is working. He is jogging along country roads and even doing doing push-ups on a 50-gallon barrel of of what looks like oil uh, push-ups. Are you familiar with the video now? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Well, I bring this video up because at the three-minute and one-second mark of the video, you can see a sign near, near what looks like two picnic benches, and the sign says, Caution, sand temperatures can reach extreme levels. Please use caution. My question is, are you, were you ever into weather statistics like you were wrestling? For instance, uh, did you, were you ever fascinated with the top 10 temperatures ever recorded in Death Valley, which is where The Undertaker is from? Uh, I think my father is probably a bit more interested in stats like that. Uh, I know, I know one statistic we'll be keeping track of during our trip is mileage, gas mileage, which which take a guess did the best as far as uh, mileage overall. Oh, okay, 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 gas mileage, yes. All right, well, Brian, at the one minute and thirty six second mark of this video. Season 2, Episode 20, Wrestle Club Natural Selection. Bronco Bill Lee of the Spud Brothers Coalition can be seen putting on a blue do-rag on his mouth before he sets off on a run. Now, uh, uh, blue do-rag are the colors of the Crip Street Gang. If he put this blue do-rag on his forehead... Uh, I was thinking that he might be mistaken for a Crip gang member. Um, yeah, that's I, a I, good point. Yes. Were you, did you yourself belong to a vicious street gang in junior high? That's what I'm trying to get oh, at. Oh, no. Nope, nope. Have you ever heard of the feared gang, gang uh, that was formed in 1979 on the Longview Kelso border called the Vente Lattes. They were named after an a extra large coffee. Mm-mm. Don't think I have. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> All right. Yes, the, on their gang jackets, they had a, had a uh, cup of coffee, like death-proof coffee. Ah. Yes. And I only bring that up because in this video – I'd like to tell our Turnbuckle Turmoil listeners at the one minute and 98 second mark, he can be seen holding a death-proof coffee with a black straw in it. I think that's Bronco mm-hmm. Bill Lee. Yeah. No, okay. I'm just saying, I'm just asking this because I want to know how many cups of coffee you drink per day as your beverage of choice. With me, well, I did have one frappuccino uh, earlier today uh, during the week. Uh, I'm lucky if I even have one at all. But usually, most of the time, usually during the weekends is when I usually get my uh, frappuccino, usually one. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Brian, were you a big fan of Bam Bam Bigelow and his role of the hitman? And his assignment was to take down... Uh, Major Pain in the movie Major Pain. Were you a big fan of Bam Bam Bigelow? Oh yeah, been a big fan of his work ever since. Heard of him in the 1980s, trained by Larry Sharp out of the Monster Factory, and Bigelow had tremendous uh, agility for a man of his size and weight, and just incredible worker, incredible. So uh, yeah, and of course. He was used in New Japan in a match between him and Antonio Noki ended up in a full-blown riot, which was real bad. But, of course, he was also used on top in uh, Memphis, going up against Jerry the King Lawler. And uh, Bigelow, of course, worked other territories. He was in WCW. He was in WWE. 
So he worked a lot of different places right up to the time of his death. So incredible talent, uh, Bad Bad Bigelow. For our Turnbuckle Turmoil listeners that aren't familiar with this riot in Japan with Bam Bam Bigelow, can you give us a couple of details what happened? Not sure. Uh, it might, might have been the finish of the match where Bigelow must have gotten the victory over Inoki, but but they were throwing stuff into the ring, and they were just causing chaos. The fans were, and I think New Japan was basically told to basically to stay away from this place uh, for a considerable period of time. They weren't allowed to do shows there for a considerable period. I think that's what I can remember off the top of my head. See, now I think with the advent of uh, videos, uh, maybe such as MTV, and the availability of these videos to be piped to Japan, plus the pioneering groundwork of the Runaways and Joan Jett and Western culture itself, a riot like that would not have happened in the 30s, 40s, and 50s in proper Japan. Society no. was very late back then. But once they got a shot at this Western culture and rebellion and uh, kind of Western culture, especially like uh, 50s movies, uh, Rumble, and um, what was that one movie with James Dean where he was an outlaw biker? Outlaw biker, and they took over a California. Yeah, that's right, and I can't remember it. Oh, the wild one. The wild one. Oh, okay. Yes, I think uh, that wouldn't have happened, you know. A wild, when When a national hero and favorite loses, you know, fans can get upset. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, well, Brian, it was good talking with you. I have to go to my straight job now. Your homework right. assignment is to look up uh, Joan Jett's uh, video. Uh, uh, well, the, actually, the Runaway Runaways video, Cherry Bomb, and you can see them playing that live in Japan in 1977 as young teenagers. Definitely, we'll definitely have to do that. Oh, okay. And you can report back to Sign Guy on what you think of this. Yes. Yes, definitely. He'll look forward to that. Okay. Yep. <laughs> All right. Back to you, Sign Guy. Thank you, QT. Well, Brian, Russell Club has recently returned to live audience shows. Uh, they were going through the pandemic uh they were at a special location, songs, any live crowds. They were live streaming the shows. They were keeping going as best as they could. But now the fans are back. They're uh, back in their natural element. What's it like having gone so long from seeing a live show to now being back part of a crowd, seeing all the Russell Club fans back, and seeing the Russell Club guys continue to do good things out there. Yeah, that was really weird and bizarre to not have any fans, to all of a sudden, now we're back to having a live crowd. So it was just incredible to uh, have that uh, opportunity. Yeah, it was real strange having to sit at home and watch the show on YouTube and type up the match results as the show was going on to being uh, in attendance with fans and then just writing them down and then just typing them up at home. So, yeah, I'm real glad to see. Yeah, and the fans missed us. You can really tell they really they really missed us. They really missed uh, seeing the wrestlers live and in person. It's, and so, yeah, I'm glad things are starting to go back to normal again. So hopefully that continues for a while. Absolutely. Obviously, Wrestle Club has always had shows attached to different festivals and conventions and so forth. They've done a lot of outdoor shows just because of their nature and uh, being community-minded like that. I think 
in general promotions for the next few months at least, at least in our area, the next probably month to six weeks, we're going to see more outdoor shows than what we were accustomed to pre-pandemic. What do you think of outdoor shows as opposed to running indoor shows? Oh, it doesn't matter as as since I've been to both, and they could be uh, pretty successful. It doesn't as as long as you've got audience, you've got fans that are willing to go, whatever uh, circumstances. Even if, even if it starts to sprinkle a little bit, or even out in the very extreme cold or extreme heat, fans are loyal. And if they sh- if they see a product, they see a brand they want to be loyal to, they'll do whatever it takes to get there. Because I know we've got a big show coming up September 18th in Eureka, California, Rubble in the Redwoods, put on by my promoter and uh, CAC fellow member, Joe Souza. So uh, I know Rocket Boy Brett will defend Pacific North Coast Heavyweight Championship in a triple threat. They will crown new Pacific North Coast Tag Team Champions in a tournament. So, and Eureka was a stop on the in the territory scene for San Francisco. And uh, so, even Hulk Hogan was has been there. Andre Giant, Nick Bockwinkle, and many others. So, uh, so you want to talk about rabid fans? And you, I've I've been there twice, and I've witnessed 400 to 800 or so fans just being there. Because they're lucky if they get pro wrestling once a year. So, uh, like I say, a lot has changed. So uh, it it could be done indoor and outdoor. Uh, on the uh, similar topic of uh, venues, Anywhere a wrestling ring can be put, a promoter has most likely tried to run a show. I've seen anywhere from the middle of a park to inside of restaurants to inside, of course, of coffee shops with really great event centers attached to them to parking lots. There's been a lot of strange ones. What would you say has been the oddest venue where you've seen a wrestling show? Hmm. Well, probably the, probably the coffee shop one has probably been one of the strangest ones that I've uh, seen. Of course, I didn't even know about the concert venue until uh, we just went on uh, straight back. And so that was a complete surprise. I thought, this was going to be an outdoor event. I did, had no idea it was going to be indoors, and the indoors was going to be fantastic. So that's probably been uh, one of the strangest, but also probably one of the most rewarding. Absolutely. They also had a really great locker room, which it doesn't translate to the fans, but it makes for being able to get around and uh, be able to run things more smoothly when you have a nice uh, locker room where you can actually move around and have space to think and so forth. So it was a great venue all around. I think everyone that worked there will miss it. Oh, yeah. We certainly miss it as well. That was our best venue. You mentioned earlier that uh, you, of course, provide PWI with results, and Wrestle Club has been fortunate enough to many times get their results printed in that magazine, which I think helps people know of Wrestle Club and search them out on YouTube and social media, which grows who is watching them and getting their name out there. The first time that you see Wrestle Club's results in PWI, what was going through your mind when you saw it? Oh, they were, everybody was just tickled pink. Everybody was just so happy about that. Just seeing their name in print for the very first time. And I was uh, very excited to, because I think I messaged people on Facebook, you'll never guess, guess what happened. We are at PWI. So, so yeah, 
that was a it was a real game changer for us. It really, uh, yeah, it was it was a nice uh, humble and proud moment for uh, Russell Club that we finally hit the big time. <clears throat> we talked a little bit earlier on Team Marcus Anderson, and he is a Russell Club original. He was trained from the ground up by Russell Club, has been with them pretty much from the start. He recently, when I say recently, within the last year, moved to Las Vegas where he is doing very well. I saw him a couple of weeks ago in Las Vegas at Game Changer Wrestling. When you see someone like a King Marcus Anderson and Adriel and uh, even Mr. Hickman, who's doing very well in the Florida area. What's it like for you as the Russell Club historian seeing someone that got their start for Russell Club, uh, was trained by Russell Club, and now they're going to different parts of the country. They're working for bigger promotions, and they are doing well in other parts of the country, but still carrying part of Russell Club with them wherever they go. I'm sure it makes both uh, Garibay and myself very proud. I was like we're a parent where uh, our kids have finally left the nest and they're ready to fly on their own. And so, yeah, it's a very humbling moment to, to, to think that I saw Adriel Noctis' debut January 28, 2017, he lost in his pro debut, but now he's the world heavyweight champion, and he is doing remarkably well in Vegas. And I knew he would. I knew he would do well. I knew Marcus would do extremely well. They're very happy to be in Vegas. Hickman, I miss a lot, but I know he's doing well in Florida. And, of course, I miss Bryce. He's in Ohio with his uh, family, where he was from originally. James Grimm, of course, now in Florida. So he'll do remarkably well there. So there's a lot of a lot of connections. We say if you want to take this business seriously, well, at least we've got a good record. We've got a good track record in training people. But it really is up to them on what they do with the training, with the fundamentals, on how they just uh, are able to just leave the leave our area and then move on to bigger and uh, better things. Absolutely. Always very good to see the Russell Club roster doing great things no matter where they are. But we're down to the last few minutes of the show, and I want to give time to you. If there's anything you would like to say in closing, plug and promote absolutely anything you like, social media, upcoming shows, any uh, organizations, your favorite laundromat, anything you want floor is all yours. Well, definitely check out my pro wrestling website at www.brianrich, that's one word, B-R-I-A-N-R-I-C-H dot net slash Russell dot H-T-M-L. I am on Facebook, Brian dot Westcott dot 33. And you can check out the pictures of the Cauliflower Alley Club events of Waterloo and the PWHF in Texas. Definitely check out caulifloweralleyclub.org for the CAC reunion that is coming up September 13th, 14th, and 15th. We, there is a pro wrestling event on September 11th and September 12th as part of CAC on Sunday and Monday. So fans, you can check that out. Also, Rubble in the Redwoods, September 18th. And in Eureka at the Redwood Acres Fairgrounds. So be part of that. Check that out. Waterloo for next year in July of 2022. And so uh, definitely check those things out. It is uh, great to be a part of this program and continue to support independent professional wrestling. Also, Idaho Wrestle Club. We are on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Idaho Wrestle Club. One word. So check us out. We're on Roku for our program to our events when we advertise them on Facebook. Thank you so much. Well, Brian, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. 
Hopefully we'll get to see each other again relatively soon. Anytime they want me there at Russell Club, happy to go there. So you might mention it to the local promoters there in Russell Club that I'm not above begging for another booking from them. Uh, Yeah, hope to get back there soon. Always, always a pleasure to see you. Fans, definitely check out Brian's website. He is a fantastic historian. If you needed to know results from Indianapolis in August of 87, he would be the man to go to. He'd have it for you. He's a treasure to have in the professional wrestling industry. Wrestle Club, very lucky to have him as their historian. And we will be back with you on Sunday afternoon. We have Dalton Davis, with whom I once danced the tango in the middle of a WCWO ring at the Outlaw Arena. And then one week from this very day, we will be back with you. And our guest next week is Lily Lockhart. She is from Supreme Wrestling in Indiana. So make sure you have plans to be with us. And as we close out today, we do want to mention, as was said earlier, the loss of Shannon Spurl. She was, uh, of course, with WCW under the name Daphne. She worked for TNA slash Impact as the governor and the screen queen, among other names that she used throughout her career. Uh, We lost her in a very tragic circumstance the other night, so our hearts go out to all of our fans and family. So as we close up today, we will hit our traditional tin bell salute in her honor.